Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's teaching podcast. We are in Prescott, Arizona. My name is Nate Huss and I'm one of the team members here. And uh, if this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad that you could tune in. And yeah, if you'd like to connect with us or learn more, jump over to restorationaz.org. And uh, before we get going, I just want to encourage you, will you take a moment and just pause really quick? Every week um, at the end of the teaching, we always participate in communion. And so I would love for you to go grab uh, a small glass of grape juice, or if you don't have grape juice, just a glass of juice. If you don't have that, if you just have water, that's okay. Um, It's all about remembrance. And so grab that, uh, a small little piece of bread or a cracker, something that you have, and join us as we participate in communion at the end. And so we feel like there's There's no greater application at the end of listening to God's word than allowing the spirit to unify us through communion and remembering what Jesus has done for us. So take a moment, pause, go grab that. Now that you're back, will you please take a moment just to grab your Bible and we are going to dive in together. Mark chapter 10. I will uh, go ahead and just read it and then we will dive in. Verse 1, Jesus set out from there and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Then crowds converged on him again, and as he usually did, he began teaching them once more. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. Now, in the house, the disciples questioned him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, if you're not excited about this morning based on that passage, I don't know what will give you that type of excitement. There there was a man named Fritz Haber in uh, the early 1900s who did some some pretty remarkable things in his research as a, a Jewish chemist. One of the things he did is save millions of lives. He was a hero because of the fertilizer he developed that allowed for crops to to grow at a rate that could actually sustain millions of lives. And so he was a hero in that way at the beginning of his career as a chemist. And then later in his life, his research, knowingly on his part, would actually result in his wife's suicide and be a significant uh, impact in... Nazi Germany figuring out how to uh, extend chlorine as a gas that would be used to kill an unimaginable, unimaginable amount of people, especially his Jewish community. It's, it's actually astonishing. That's a very dramatic uh, instance of this, but it's astonishing to think throughout the course of human history how often we as people can wield one thing for very good causes. And then on the other side, or quickly thereafter, wield something in in pain-causing horrendous ways. He's not the exception. We actually all can do this uh, pretty easily in our lives. And, And what's sad, I'll say, is that God's word is no exception. 
God's word throughout the the course of human history has been used in beautiful, good, healthy, life-giving ways. And God's word has been used to cause deep pain in people's lives, to actually send people away from and distance them from his love. We, We can read this passage and go, oh, wow, this is just about marriage and divorce, which to some degree it is, and we'll talk about that. But that's not the primary thing that this passage is about. This passage is primarily a model of how not to approach God's word and how to approach God's word. The Pharisees are going to model how not to approach it, and Jesus will model how to approach God's word. And the conversation, what it's centered on, is this topic of divorce and marriage. But again, that's, that's not the main point. Jesus sets out the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, approach him to test him, and they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? There's a couple things we need to understand here that are really key. If we're going to grasp what's actually happening in this moment and in this time and in this place, you may or may not remember like a year or two ago, I don't remember, when we were still in the book of Mark and we were talking about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was beheaded because Herod Antipas, who was the, the ruler of the region that Jesus is in, in this moment in chapter 10 of Mark, he had John the Baptist beheaded because John the Baptist spoke against his new marriage and that it shouldn't have happened to a a woman who was previously divorced. And so what we can actually gain fairly quickly as we dive into the context and culture of this passage is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders who came to Jesus to test him, they weren't testing him about his biblical knowledge. They weren't actually very curious about how he interpreted the scriptures and God's word in regards to marriage and divorce, they were just hoping he would say something stupid and get his head cut off like John the Baptist did because they didn't like him having authority and power. So right out of the gate in just two verses, we can see pretty quickly this isn't about marriage and divorce. Secondarily, it is, but not primarily. Primarily, what we're going to see today is this. You and I and anybody, Jesus models this, need to make sure that God's word is being used appropriately in the everyday stuff of our lives. We need to make sure and ensure that God's word is being used appropriately in the everyday stuff of our lives, both from us to others and from others to us. It's a, it's a two-way street. We see Jesus receive God's word from the Pharisees in a way that he says isn't okay. We'll get into that. And then he extends it back to the Pharisees, and Jesus extends God's word from himself to his disciples. So in both ways, how we receive and send out God's word, there's an appropriate and inappropriate way to do so. And it actually matters really significantly. Maybe you've experienced it before, but what what Jesus actually begins to articulate and, and formulate and paint the picture of for us is that God's word can be weaponized and used in some pretty horrendous ways. You might think of it as like a bat that people have been beaten with. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've experienced that. Someone in between uh, the first gathering and this one said uh, scripture whipping. Maybe that's something you've experienced. Maybe that's something that's caused you to run far from the Father because your experience has been that people just beat you with the bat that the scriptures, God's word, has become. At other times, God's word has maybe been used as a saw to divide households and families and communities and neighborhoods, and that's not its intent either. 
Now, it'll naturally do that at times when God calls us to something that some of us maybe aren't willing to do. But its original intent is never to cut in half and divide and separate. I think at times God's word has been used as a fortress where we say, hey, we belong here and you don't. And it's exclusive. Or or maybe as a pass-fail kind of test, if you have the right knowledge and your life is good enough and you've not done enough of the bad things, then we welcome you. But otherwise, you're not really worthy of this God. And so people who feel unworthy, again, run away from the Father instead of running to. And the reason they do so is based on how people have wielded, handled, utilized God's word. Right right out of the gates, it's actually interesting. Jesus points them back to God's word. They test him, and Jesus replied, what did Moses command you? He's bringing them back to God's word out of uh, the book of Deuteronomy. And they said in verse 4, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and to send her away. I want to read out of Deuteronomy chapter, uh, I think, 24, verse 1. I'm going to pull that up. They're referencing this, both Jesus and the, the religious leaders. In the law, which Deuteronomy means second law, it's the second time it was given, Moses wrote, if a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something improper, two key words, displeasing and improper, because he finds something improper about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. So Jesus is doing the first thing that any of us should do when we approach God's word. He's making sure that God's word is being used in life. He references the law of Moses, and they, they return it to him. Now, hear this because it's important. Just because they are using God's word, it doesn't mean that they are using it correctly. They're actually using God's word to harm others, and, and we'll dive into that a little bit more in a minute. There was two main interpretations of this passage in uh, Deuteronomy. One was from the school of Shammai, and it was the more conservative approach. And the key was centered on how they interpreted that word improper. This school of thought of Shammai interpreted it as only something of some form of sexual act that would break the covenant between a husband and wife, adultery or, or something kind of in that field. And only in that case could a man divorce his wife and send her away. Then there was another school of thought. And keep in mind, in the the Jewish culture at this time, pretty much everybody accepted divorce. It was just a matter of what allowed, what permitted this divorce. The other school was from a a teacher by the name of Hillel, and and he had a much more liberal approach. His uh, interpretation of improper was if your wife cooks dinner and then she burns dinner, that's improper. And so you can say, "Ah, you know what, this whole marriage thing's not working out. I want someone that cooks dinner better than you do. And that was acceptable. Many people accepted the school of Hillel. Or it's written that if a man saw a woman who was more beautiful than his wife in his interpretation, that was improper on the part of his wife. And so he could just go, you know what? I'm kind of done with this. Here's a divorce paper. I found something I would like more. That doesn't put the, uh, the woman in a great spot. And so the Pharisees and the religious leaders come up to Jesus and they go, hey, how do you interpret this? When can a man divorce? When can a man not? And they ask this question, can I or can't I? Have you ever asked that question when you're wondering what, what God commands, what his law is, what his instructions are in life? Am I allowed to do this or am I not allowed to do that? I think for many of us, that's often the first question we ask. It's the question 
that the religious leaders set out with. But notice this. Jesus doesn't let that be the first question. That's not the right question to ask first. Let's see what he says. He replies to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and to send her away. But Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. This part's really key. But from the beginning of creation, God made. But from the beginning of creation, God made. Here's what Jesus does. He goes, the the right question is not can I or can't I? It's not am I allowed to do this or am I not allowed to do this? The right question is to go back to the beginning. At the beginning of creation, God made blank with this intent in mind. At the beginning of creation, God's original intent and design and his perfect, all-knowing, perfectly loving way was this. He doesn't say can I or can I not, but what did God have in mind? What is good about God's creation? When you question something in life, is your first question, can I or can I not? Or is it, I wonder what God had in mind when he designed this part of life. So, for example, Jesus models this. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. The first, the most foundational question, the most important question we should ask is not can I or can't I, though that's the easiest question to ask. It's what did God plan? He said it was good, it is good, it is good, it is good. We read that a lot in Genesis. What is good about God's design and are we living into that? Here's a a couple examples. Maybe the, the question could be asked, can I or can I not spank my children in the context of parenting? It's a fair question, but it's not the best question. What we should do is go to the more foundational matter and go, when God, at the beginning of creation, created parents, what was his intent? What was good about parents? Well, they should nurture and protect and care for their children and also guide and instruct them, discipline them, bring out the best of that child as God created them uniquely brilliantly. And so with that in mind, that's what God created parents for. Is spanking appropriate? I don't know. I'll let you answer that. But it's probably dependent if a child is needing a lot of discipline and is going in a way that's going to harm, then yeah, that could be appropriate and helpful. If it's just used out of laziness or out of some form of abuse by the father, then no, that's not best. Is it helping the parent live into what God created the parent to do? Love, protect, guide teach, instruct? That's the question that should be asked before can I or can't I? You could, again, apply this to anything, marriage, family, parenting, alcohol. Can I or can't I drink? It's not the proper question. Actually, there's commands to drink alcohol in the Bible. Then there's commands to not drink alcohol in the Bible. The question isn't can I or can't I, it's what is God's intent? And the moments he commands, it is to celebrate and rejoice in what God has done and in family members and weddings and feasts and celebrations to celebrate and worship. God made a good world. That's worthy. And then there's times where he clearly goes, no, that's not appropriate because that's leading into you, that's leading you into something that it doesn't promote human flourishing. That's going to harm others. That's not good. The question is not can I or can't I, it's what is God's intent? It's funny, a man came up to me in between the the two services and he goes, 
the, the school you went to for my undergrad, he goes, they probably wouldn't have agreed with you on that, huh? Because it was a Baptist school. I'm like, no, they wouldn't have. And I probably couldn't have worn this. And uh, then there was this massive sex scandal with the, the principal, or not the principal, this was an elementary school, the president of the school. And it's ironic. I didn't think about this until I was just walking up. But in a Baptist, legalistic, and I'm not saying Baptist is just legalistic or bad by any means. There's good and bad in everything. But in that context, what stood out to him was, oh, alcohol's bad. I'm like, okay. And then the leader of that school had this whole other thing going on that came out. You go, that's interesting. We're asking, can I or can't I? That's not the right question. What is good? God is a good, brilliant creator. What is good in his creation? How do we live into that? That has to be the starting point. And that's what Jesus models for us. But from the beginning of creation, God made blank. When you have a question about where we should go in life and what it looks like to trust and follow Jesus, what did he make good about this part of life? Not can I or can't I. We'll get to that secondarily. Next, uh, what we'll read in, in verse 10. Now, the house, the disciples, or in the house, the disciples questioned him again about this matter. They weren't understanding. This is different than what they've heard. And Jesus said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. That's interesting. In the, the midst of this Jewish culture, what was normal is if a man cheated on his wife with another man's wife, what would have been normally said is that that man committed adultery against the other man because he stole his wife. It was not normal to say that that man committed adultery against his own wife. Why? Because they did not dignify or elevate or value women in the midst of this culture. And so what Jesus is doing in this moment is actually pretty drastically countercultural. He's saying women matter. He's saying you're committing adultery against her and that is not okay. They would have been shocked by this. And then Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues on and he's going to actually elevate not just the dignity, but also the responsibility of women. Also, he says in verse 12, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Both dignifies and elevates value and dignifies and elevates responsibility. First and foremost, Jesus goes to God's original intent in anything in life. And what we see in this passage is that God's design and his intent for a marriage does not include divorce. Even after sin, that's not a part of his intent, of his desire, of his plan. He didn't make marriage and go, and divorce will be a part of it. Yet, our God isn't stupid. He recognizes so much so that he left his place in heaven, left his throne, and took on the form of man to die on a cross for us. He made provision for our sin. And so Jesus looked out and acknowledged the fact, the reality, that sin, and I don't mean a list of rules, but this disease, this cancer called sin that causes us to be deeply selfish. He refers to it here as because of your hardness of hearts. Have you ever experienced somebody with hardness of heart? yourself. Yeah, in a marriage, it's a constant journey and battle and wrestling match to soften your heart to love another. And believe it or not, we're not great at that. We're really good at loving self. And so Jesus goes, because of the hardness of your hearts, some really painful, bad, severe, even dangerous situations are created in the context of marriage. It can be physically dangerous, emotionally dangerous, 
relationally dangerous, dangerous for children. And in those contexts, divorce is still tragic. It's not God's intent. Yet divorce is also best. It can be both tragic and best at the same time. Now, hear me on this. That's not God's design. It's not God's intent. But sometimes it's the reality. And Jesus spoke into that hard reality. That's the beautiful thing about our God that that sometimes I think we neglect, that I neglect. He doesn't shy away from the things that are hard. In the the midst of this moment, some people are trying to behead him, and he still dives into the question. He's not going to be trapped by it. He goes, yeah, here's the messy, broken reality. Our God meets us at the intersection of broken and beautiful. He doesn't say, hey, when it's all beautiful and you have it together, then you'll be worthy of me. Come on, sing some songs, do some things. Let's get spiritual. It'll be great. He goes, no, in the midst of both broken and beautiful, that's where you'll find me. Jesus approaches God's word differently. He actually takes the bat that the Pharisees were seeking to beat him or others with that had become God's word, how they were weaponizing and wielding God's word, and he just takes it right out of their hands and says, no, you can't do that. Last week, uh, Ron taught out of Mark chapter 9, and uh, I want to reread verse 42 from Mark chapter 9. We read this, Jesus speaking, but whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones who believes in me, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Okay, Jesus, that's kind of harsh. That, that word downfall is, is the, the Greek word that means to entrap or ensnare. Whoever entraps or ensnares, whoever tricks and leads to the downfall of any one of my followers, Jesus says, it would be better off for them to be, just be dead. Well, that sounds harsh. Here's what we need to take away from that. Jesus takes the way that we project who the Father is very seriously because Jesus acknowledges the reality that we can both do good things with God's word and we can do significant, remarkably harmful, painful things with this word. I don't know, I can't say if it's a coincidence or not that in the next chapter, the Pharisees come along to trap him. I don't think it is though. Again, maybe you're a person that has taken the beating of the scriptures of God's word from somebody. So I'm sorry. It's not a reflection of the true father. Or maybe you're a person that's done that. Maybe even unknowingly. I would encourage all of us, myself included, to just stop and pause and reflect. Because Jesus says, take seriously how you use my word because it's powerful. Not necessarily in just good ways. It is powerful And Satan can twist and deceive. Satan knows God's word really well and uses it to harm people frequently. We need to take this seriously. We need to not misuse God's word in in inappropriate ways. One One of the keys to our posture when we receive instruction from anybody, but especially God's word, it's instruction. It's what the, the law is. It's what God teaches us. Is to consider both the person and the posture giving the instruction. Have you ever had one of those, those times in life where somebody that should not be teaching or instructing is just dying to teach and instruct? Now, I'll never forget two different uh, times in my life with my dad. One, I was about seven, and one, I was about 27, where I'm, I'm sitting with him with some other people, And without any knowledge or experience or or wisdom, they were intent on telling him 
how, how to build a specific part of a building, though he was very good and, and had a very successful career doing so. They had no business to, but they were passionate about how they were right. And I'm sitting there, both as a kid and then later as an adult, going, what is going on in these people's minds? Just uh, this, this past week, I enjoy playing basketball, and so I'll get up at the ungodly hour of five-something in the morning to go play at the, the YMCA. And I'm by no means great, but I'm, I'm decent, and I can shoot okay. And so this, this one morning, I've been playing there for months, and I'm shooting, and I make three or four shots in a row. And then this guy that, I, I kid you not, he's, he's really bad. Like, his form's bad. He hardly, I don't know if I've ever seen him make a shot. It's ugly. He comes up to me after I make three or four shots in a row, and he goes, hey, you know what you should try? I'm like, I just made four in a row. He goes, you should try moving your arm this way. And I, I just said, thank you. And in my head, I'm like, what? This guy's out of his mind. Have you experienced that, though? Right? It doesn't have to be sports. It could be driving. It could be parenting. It could be anything you do in life. People have this desire to let you know their knowledge and wisdom and experience, even if they have none. I've found especially... <laughs> If they have none, that's when they desire to do so. Here's the thing. When it comes to the instruction we receive from God's word, it's trustworthy. And here's why. Because of the person that's giving it. Don't forget, it's God's word. It's not some, some, some dummy that doesn't know anything. It's God's word. We can, we can say that term, God's word, and kind of just get used to it so we don't pay attention. It is the word of God. He's the person that has all the experience and wisdom and knowledge and understanding. So for that reason, he's probably worth listening to. But, but if that isn't enough, the posture, remember I said the posture is important. Here's his posture. It isn't one of arrogance. It's going to be firm because his ways are best. His design is good and out of love, we need to live into his design. But his posture is one of patience, of forgiveness, of faithfulness and grace and mercy. When it comes to receiving God's word, the person and the posture are perfect. So don't forget, it's God's word. When the Pharisees tried to misuse it, what did Jesus do? He pointed back to who was giving the word. What is God's intent? What is his design? Because he's always worth listening to For us as humanity, though we uh, probably work pretty hard to never admit this because we think there's weakness in it, the reality is we are really impressionable. We are convinced of things easily. You might be thinking, no, not me. Probably, especially you, (laughs) if you just had that thought. Here's why. We're like, as humans, we're like metal in a magnetic field ideologies and philosophies and teachers pull us and we cannot help but to be pulled by the the current of some teaching. Our our ideas are not our own. And so we can be pulled by God's word, but if we're not pulled by that, we will be pulled by something else. And proximity matters. The closer you are to God's word, the stronger the pull will be on your life. And it won't just affect you spiritually. It'll affect your marriage, your parenting, your business, your neighborhood, everything. There's nothing it won't impact. So beware. Because <laughs> God's word will impact your life. And not necessarily just how you want it to. It will be good. But maybe not how you'd interpret good right now. The closer you are, the stronger the pull. 
But the further you are, the stronger the pull of the other voices and ideologies and gods, there's other gods, that they will have, the impact they will have, the consequences they will have in your life. As always, we don't get a choice of whether or not we're pulled magnetically by the voices in our world, by the teachers, the philosophers, the gods, but we do get to choose who we allow to pull. Jesus took God's word very seriously, both because it could harm others, and my guess is, actually I could say pretty confidently, I don't think there's a person in this room without knowing many of your stories that has not been impacted by divorce, whether directly or indirectly. And there's a really good chance the way that that's been discussed, the way God's word has been wielded has led to harm even if it's not on the topic of divorce. Jesus takes God's word seriously, and I think we need to. We should as well. May we be a people that press in to what he says, that listen, because he's worth listening to. And if not, the other voices will grab a hold and pull. Let's pray. Jesus, I uh, so often take for granted the gift you have given of your word, of your instruction. May you help us as a family of people trusting you together and learning what it means to trust you to not take your word for granted. May you give us wisdom and discernment to wield your word well. May you bless us with your presence and a knowledge of your love and your way. May you guide us in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. I know it's, it's interesting. You can get unsolicited coaching and instruction and advice from people that don't know anything about the topic they're instructing. Or uh, perhaps we could pay hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars for a consultant to give us coaching and instruction on a certain thing. I've done that before. And here's what's interesting. The almighty God of the universe offers that for free. How often do we ignore that? And I don't say that out of like a place of guilt, like just go read your Bibles. I'm not saying that. I don't, I don't even have a, what would you call it, daily quiet time where I just go read my Bible. I don't do that. But I think it's worth diving into God's word. I think we need that. So I encourage you to do so. As always, we're going to respond in worship. Uh, first and foremost, by taking communion. And as we take communion together, here's what's happening. This is why we do this every week and consider it to be so valuable. We're not only remembering the body and blood of Christ, that, that he was killed, that he gave up his life for us, and that he rose three days later, but you're remembering that the person of Christ is in you and with you. Read, uh, read the New Testament and Paul's letters. About every four sentences you're going to read, in Christ or Christ in you. When we take communion, we're remembering and living into the fact that the person of Christ, the Word of God, the Word Himself, Jesus, is in you, living, active, breathing, speaking. And so when we leave here, you don't leave alone. The Word of God is with you. So we encourage and invite you to come to the table to take communion and know that you're united with Christ and to know that He leads us as we seek to trust Jesus always, no matter the moment.
Thanks so much for listening. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. And again, my name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the team members here. So glad that you were able to join us. And uh, if this is your first time listening or you've been listening for a little while and um, are still doing the online thing, I just want to encourage you, go get plugged in. Um, Restoration may not be the church for you and that's okay, but I want to encourage you, go get plugged in with the local body. Is there a church in your area that you could trust and join and, and be a part of the body of Christ? There's something that is really valuable and important about journeying together with other people who are on the journey of practicing the way of Jesus. And so um, whatever that looks like, if restoration is a a place that you could call home and you're in Prescott, Arizona, or in one of the quad cities in the area, we would love for you to join us. If not, I just really want to encourage you, um, go get plugged into a local body. It's really, really valuable. um, And I truly believe it is important for us on our journey of faith. And so um, again, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to restorationaz.org. And as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.